Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 30 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, media trainer and editor of veganbusinessmedia.com, the multimedia blog providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Ilsa Hess from Love and Joy Foods, producers of Nachi Sauce in Sacramento, California. Five years ago, Ilsa was working in a government job as an IT consultant for the city of Sacramento. Before that, she had professional experience in web design, graphic design, photography, product demonstration and customer service. All these skills came in handy when she decided to launch her business. One day she found herself craving some nacho cheese from a pump, so she decided to make her own. After literally bottling her cashew-based recipe, local stores began stocking jars of nachis. The product is currently available in over 50 retail outlets across the US. Now, this is particularly impressive in that, for the most part, Ilsa deals direct with retailers herself. She also packs and ships online sales to customers, along with her parents, who are the only additional staff. Last year, the company launched Nachis in pouches, making it easy for customers to slip into their bags or lunchboxes. In this interview, Ilsa discusses the importance of developing patience when running your business as things rarely happen in the time frame you want, tips on cold calling retailers to stock your products, how to get into a retailer even if you have few to no sales of your products, the importance of opening lines of credit while you have a salaried job, the key mistake new business owners make and how to avoid it, and much more. Here's the interview with Ilsa Hess from Love and Joy Foods, producers of Nachis. Hello, Ilsa. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure. Happy to be here. <laughs> so tell us about the why behind Nachis. Why do you do what you do? What drives you? Um, the biggest thing is just having a convenient way for people to have a nacho cheese sauce that doesn't have any dairy in it. So um, that's the biggest one. Um and I once in a while I'll get a person that comes up to me and says that they actually um went totally vegan. They were vegetarian before and then not cheese actually helped them go fully vegan, which just gives me chills and that's exactly why I'm doing this. So it's great to get that feedback once in a while. Oh, that's wonderful. That is fantastic. But why so why did you turn because obviously, you know, we can, you know, make a difference in the world in, in lots of ways. Why did you decide to go down this route, like the business route as opposed to a different form of activism? What kind of drove you to to start your own business in this way? The funny thing is I had this huge dream of having my own um rescue, animal rescue, and then I started thinking, well, I need to have some kind of funding to be able to open that rescue. And then it just, at that same time, I was experimenting with a bunch of different cheeses and, um, you know, the beginnings of nachi started happening and it just sort of clicked that, you know, if this takes off, then I would be able to have the funding to get that uh, rescue group together. So... Fantastic. I love that. Now, in terms of uh, vegan food, a lot of um, vegan business owners um, say that particularly with food, um, 
the the price point often tends to have to be a bit higher because it's ethical. Um, how do you deal with that challenge to stay competitive and continue to attract clients? Um, I do a lot of my own demos. So I am out there on the, in the field giving out samples, and this does come up a lot. And the one thing I'll say is, you know, the cashews, and, and instantly I just say cashews, and people understand that there's a cost behind having that amazing nut in nachis. And then, you know, the more we talk about it, um, you know, they realize, oh, it's much healthier. Yeah, they could go with a less expensive, you know, even full of dairy version. Cause a lot of people I talk to are omnivores. And yet the ones that want to pay a little extra know that it's healthier, it's low in calories. And so they'll invest in themselves. And I help to encourage that. And, you know, and we're talking about business owners too. Sometimes you just can't have everyone be able to afford your product. And that's okay too. There's other things that they can do. So kind of both sides of the coin there yeah that's a really good point actually and I think it is good to educate it's all about educating the client isn't it? educating customers um, because they're so used to you know getting cheap products that are made from animals because of all the subsidies um, that they're kind of like oh why is it so expensive but like you say when you explain it then you know it kind of takes down those barriers and they're more likely to say oh okay you know there's benefits for me for animals the planet so that's great so tell us about when you first started up Natchez what were some of your key challenges when starting out? The biggest challenge I found is time. Um, you know, when you're first starting your business, you're all excited. You know exactly what you want. You know, you know what you want to do with it. And sometimes, in my case, um, it was getting from me cooking in my kitchen to friends and family to having actual jars to hand out with the co-packer. It's time. It took a whole year before I actually had a jar of nachis in my hand to be able to sell. And that's a huge challenge because you just want to go out there and do it. But sometimes you have to take a deep breath and just just wait because it's worth it. But that and I see that time situation come up over and over again where it's like, oh, I want to make this change. Well, I just can't go in there and do it myself. I have to wait for the process. So that's one of the big challenges. That's an interesting one. I'm glad you brought that up, actually. I hadn't considered that because, yeah, that's right. So particularly with something like what you're doing, there's kind of so many pieces of the pie or the cheese in this case <laughs> yeah. to, to get through. That's a really good point, actually. So how did you handle those? Um, at first, the case of, <laughs> <come on. laughs> um, in the case of like, you know, waiting for my jars and not cheese to be made, um, I have to admit it, you know, I was new to the, the entrepreneur game and, I just went in and just, you know, to be honest, I freaked out a couple of times. I actually had to be gently escorted out of a building because <laughs> I was yelling and so upset that their timeline was not right, was happening. And it's like, how embarrassing is that? <laughs> so you learn very quickly. I appreciate quickly. your honesty. I do I'm appreciate sorry? your honesty. I appreciate your honesty, and I bet a lot of people <laughs> listening will probably go, oh, gosh, yeah, I've done that too. Phew. Totally. <laughs> That's funny. And so as you've grown um, the business, how have those challenges changed over the years as you've, you've, you've grown and, and really, you know, gotten into, you know, selling more and being in retailers? Um, to be honest, uh, you know, a lot of the same challenges are there, you know, money, time. They're just different players, some old players like my co-packer and such, and, um, once you finally get a handle on how to gracefully navigate those challenges, I think is, you know, keeps happening over and over again. So you can just get it down pat where it comes up again, like, okay, it's going to take a little longer expected, or you plan ahead 
even more. You double the time that you think it's going to take, and then you double it again, you know, start doing those kind of things. But yeah, they're pretty much similar, just just different incarnation, different players. Right, right, excellent. So, as we mentioned, Natchez products are available in a number of retail outlets across the U.S., so that's pretty cool. How did you go about making that happen? I actually cold-called places, and again, a great learning curve because every person you talk to, they have you know different backgrounds, they have different ideas of what they want to be called, so you learn as each person you call, some are nicer than others, you know, to explain, but yeah, at the beginning, and even still today, I call a place and just tell them what I'm doing and what if they'd be interested in trying the product and having it come in. And, you know, 99% of the time, they they say, yes, I'd love to try it and see what happens. Wow, you must be very good on the phone with cold calling. <laughs> That's really awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I, mean, I bet a lot of sales professionals are going, what? what's she doing? What's her secret? <laughs> Oh, also, too, I should mention that you know, that's most of it. Um, I do have a, a woman who is my sales rep, and she does just a handful of clients that she um, takes care of, and then she'll, she does chocolates and things, and so she'll bring also nachis and present that to present nachis to the buyers as well. And she works on a commission, which is nice because no money up front. Whatever she sells, then I, I pay a commission. So that helps a lot, too, because then she's doing all the legwork, and then, but then there's a cost for that. So it's kind of another thing about learning business. Yeah, there's always a cost to help. Yeah. So do you use a distributor um, to get the products in, um, Ilsa, or are you literally supplying directly to the retailers? I'm 100% direct. I do. So if you wow. order nachis online, I'm the one that packs it up and puts it in the post office. So even for the stores as well, I go to FedEx. Wow. Okay. Off. Wow. Excellent. So, okay. I'm looking into distribution. It's just it's taking time to find the right one, and I'm excited for that because there'll be one less thing that I need to worry about, and one thing that you know will be definitely taken care of as well as getting into more stores. So I'm looking forward to distribution for that reason. Well, I'm very impressed because I looked on the website and the list of stores is very impressive, and the fact that you're dealing you know pretty much direct with those yourself that's super impressive. So that that's fantastic. What advice would you give to other vegan brands, you know, particularly new ones of any kind who want to get their products into outlets? Um, my big thing is just take a moment before you even pick up the phone and kind of write out a little script, something that you know, something quick because these people that you're talking to are very busy and just right get to the point of why they should even consider it. And um, it's something, you know, kind of that makes you stand out. Like, for example, I call Whole Foods and I'll say, you know, I'm in the Sacramento area that it's been selling very well. And instantly, you know, they're, they're listening more intently, you know, something to kind of grab them, but you want to be really quick. So that's the biggest thing. And and, I, and before I pick up the phone, too, I take a deep breath because sometimes you might get someone on a bad day and just try not to take it personal. That's a huge mantra. Don't take it personally. They're having their own situation, too. So that's another big key tip. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really, um, really important one. No, that, that's fantastic. So that's an interesting one that you raised when you mentioned that the product is selling well. Is that important to them? So you wouldn't, are you saying you wouldn't ring up if you're just brand new and you haven't really got a lot of sales? Is it best to wait until you've, uh, you know, you can say to them, look, it's already selling well? Um, no, that's a great question. Um, you know, at the beginning, I didn't have any sales at all to reflect on. And so instead, I would play up the fact, especially if like I started locally first, so I'm a local person, um, I'm just starting this business, you know, 
things like that that kind of draw them in, like, oh, okay, you're a local person. That alone will start the ball rolling in the right direction. So, And then from there you build on. So then when you do get local businesses, then you can start start branching out or you know maybe first start with vegan-only grocery stores like Nooch Market in Boulder, Colorado, because already you're a vegan product, so they'll be a lot more receptive. So there's a couple more tips there. Too. Excellent. That was brilliant. Thank you very much. Really good advice. Thank you very much for sharing that. So do you have any staff, Ilsa, nope, that work for you? It's me and my parents. <laughs> wow. Oh, see, I'm, I keep getting impressed by this. is amazing because, you, you know, even just everything seems like, you know, you've got this big team behind you. So I'm amazed at what you've achieved so far and excited to, to watch you grow. Um, so what have you used any other kind of expert help to help you grow your business, whether, uh, you know, business coaching, marketing, publicity, that kind of thing? Um. I have spent money, like $1,800 to hire a business coach, and um, I found, and I even hired um, a video company down in L.A. to make a video about my products, and um, it's really interesting just from my own experience, and everyone's totally different. Um, I just found that some of the best resources are free, so um, people that I love to use are local businesses like I have there's Pita Kitchen which is a great uh, Mediterranean restaurant and the owner is very nice and when I come in he sits down with me and we talk about things and he has decades of experience and so he kind of helps me along gives me tips and tricks and it's just the price of the meal you know while I'm there just sitting there talking and chatting and um, also I have a friend whose father started their own business from scratch and so it's not a food business it's actually um, making signage for ATMs and banks but his general idea and outlook really helped me get new keys. Like his, his suggestion I, I gleaned from him was read books from entrepreneurs. Like I have a book on the, the person who started Starbucks and, you know, things of that nature. So you can kind of read and get into the mindset of entrepreneurs to see what works for them and what doesn't. And you'll find that even though they're like multimillionaires, at the end of the day, they still have the same issues and the same struggles and then they have neat ways of telling you how to kind of deal with those. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about competition because there's now a lot more options available for people to buy, buy vegan products, including vegan cheese, which is very exciting. Um, so how do you go about standing out within both within the vegan business arena and also outside of it and maintaining clients and customers? Um, you know, it can be really daunting, you know, because there are so many great options now, which is a plus. It's huge. It's great. Um, and the way I look at it from the beginning, I always thought, you know what, there's hundreds of mustards and yet they're still on the shelf and people have their favorites and they're all thriving. So why not the vegan cheese community? And I found just working with clients and talking about to them and my customers too, about talking to them about other options that they have available. Um, they each have their own preference, and they even have, they'll use one for one application and another one for another application they like better. So we're all benefiting from this competitive world. It's really nice. Fantastic. What do you thoughts just related to that? What are your thoughts on the whole concept of not even thinking about competitors, but instead embracing them as collaborators with whom to potentially do joint ventures? What are your thoughts on that? And have you done any of those kind of partnerships? Um, 
you know, I would love, I mean, as far as like another nacho cheese sauce, it's hard to collaborate because we're both doing the same thing. But like if I could find like a chip seller or someone that makes chili for chili cheese fries, I would definitely love to have collaborators and to be a part of that. I think that would be wonderful. Fantastic, fantastic. Now let's talk about the use of the word vegan in your branding and your marketing materials on your website and the prominence of the word because as we know there's two schools of thought. One, it's limiting, it scares people off or you know, it's actually good to use now because it's become a bit more popular. Um, what are your thoughts on this and tell us a little bit about the choice of how you use the word or not in your marketing and why. Well, I've not cheese actually hit the, hit the market five years ago and even Within five years, that's been a huge shift on this question. It's a great question. Um, when I started my company, I decided to go with um, not putting vegan on the front of my label. But I know people who were vegan to double check to see if it was vegan would instantly go to the ingredient list. So I put vegan and a big V right next to the ingredient so they would quickly know this is a vegan product. But on the shelf to draw people in, I didn't put it on the front because that way, you know, vegans and non-vegans alike would instantly be drawn to it. Some might even grab it not realizing it was vegan. And so I didn't want to um, eliminate that sector of my customers. So I thought it would be more inclusive. But, you know, that's me and everyone's totally different. And that's just how I handled it. What about on your website, um, Ilsa? How prominent do you use the word vegan there? Um, I think it's not super prominent. I do have a, a tag or a, um, a tab that is like why vegan. So there is a, you know, kind of a hint there that this is a vegan product. Um, it does say non-dairy. Um, I guess at this point, I'm just kind of just promoting that it's a healthy nacho cheese sauce. So I guess I've never just really focused on the word vegan too much. In yeah, and it's actually a really smart strategy. I like because, like you say, with the the front of it, like people you know who don't really care that it's vegan or otherwise will grab it for those other reasons. But then for vegan consumers, they can easily like flip it over and see, ah, oh, okay, yeah, it's for me as well. So it sounds like a, a very smart strategy, and you've covered both bases there, which is which is awesome. So in terms of marketing and PR, what current strategies do you use, and what do you find most effective? Um, let's see, for marketing, I pretty much um, make my own graphics as far as taking images and adding text, um, making my own videos. I pretty much do everything myself. Um, I am kind of in a holding pattern at this time. I'd love to break out and bring in uh, you know, some kind of marketing team or something of that nature. But right now with financial <laughs> restraints, I'm doing it all myself. And actually, I enjoy it. It's really fun. So I do a lot of the marketing myself. So you're doing mainly, is it social media a lot that you're doing? Yes, social media. And then, I'll, you know, for example, I'll like create a new recipe using nachis and then add that to my web page and then add a photo of that recipe or make it, maybe make a video. And then on that web page, I would take the link to the page and then put it in my social media. So it's kind of cross-referencing so people can kind of come back to my page to find recipes and how to buy it. So it goes back and forth. Fantastic. What social media platforms are you most prominent on? Um, Facebook, 
Twitter and Instagram at this time. Those are my right. Yeah, yeah. I guess imagine what you're doing is very visual because people want to see what you're doing, and that's a really smart strategy, like you say, to use your to create recipes using your product. So it's not just seeing the product in the jar; it's actually getting people salivating, like I do, because I I don't do much in the kitchen. Like I'm a really good lunch and dinner guest, so I kind of love seeing these kind of things, and I'm literally like, oh my gosh, yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> fantastic. Now I believe you've been featured in some media as well. I think we discussed this when I did the interview with you for the book um how is it what have you been featured in and how useful was that in terms of either raising the profile of your brand or increasing sales I have been I'm so thankful I've been um, put in a magazine such as an article about different cheeses things of that nature not like a a paid ad but an actual um, um story in a magazine and also in newspapers and I've been on television a few times too um, and in lo- local Sacramento um, news stations. And out of all of them, the television spots just are off the charts. Um, back on one of the TV spots I was in, I, I was only in one store at the time. And so it was really easy to see, like, okay, the, so- stop, the spot is aired. And then people were literally coming down and knocking on the door of the store trying to buy not cheese, and then my website was blowing up and then getting orders there and likes on Facebook. So I guess because it's like, you know, you can tell exactly when that TV spot is aired, and then anything after that is definitely related to that, so it's easier to gauge. But by far, hands down, um, the TV spots were the most, like, spike kind of um, feedback. But um, magazines and newspapers were kind of a slow a slow burn kind of thing where things kind of trickle in, people contacting me. So it's more of a long-term slow burn, I think you might say. Fantastic. Oh, congratulations. That's really good to hear. How did you get those uh, that media coverage and particularly the TV spots? Did you like approach the media? Did they find you? How did it come about? Um, when I first got Jars and Not Cheese, I created a press release and put a little um, care package bag together and went to all the major radio stations, or sorry, excuse me, TV stations in the area. And so I got a couple of responses from that. Um, other ones were being a part of an event, like I was part of VegFest here in Sacramento, and the news crews came and were video all of it, videoing all of us, and then at that point had saw the footage and then contacted me later and said, I'd love to do a story just on you. And it's actually on my on my website, notchies.com, there's the video that he came over to my house and did this whole expose on me and notchies and veganism. It's really fascinating. I'm so blown away that he did that. And it just, it helped immensely to have that on the air. That's fantastic. And congratulations to you for getting out there. Like, that's really a good example of someone, you know, literally getting out there and pounding the pavement, so to speak, you know, by contacting, like you say, those local TV stations, not being afraid to do that, which I think a lot of uh, business owners can be. Um, that really shows that, you know, you, you got some great results there. So that, and, and you've been very smart by putting that clip on your website as well so people can see it because it really adds credibility. So you're a very good example of um, getting out there and doing your own publicity. So. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so let's talk about for you've been doing this for five years. Um, what were you doing before that, Ilsa? I was an IT analyst for the county of Sacramento, so a government job. 
Okay. Wow. So that's quite a big risk you took then to go from a sort of, I guess, relatively secure job as much as jobs can be secure nowadays to running your own business. So for someone who's in in that situation that you were in five years ago, you know, they really want to start a business, they're really passionate about it. What, in your opinion, what are the key things they need to take into account before making that jump from employment to self-employed? The biggest thing that I found was credits. Uh, once you make that leap, um, you know, creditors love a constant paycheck and then you go into being an entrepreneur and you're, a lot, you're higher risk when it comes to credit. So I wish I had actually opened more lines of credit, it'd be credit cards, you know, a, a line of credit for a loan or something of that nature, just because even if you don't use it, just having it sitting there waiting in case for those emergencies where everything, you know, all the bills come in at once and you're kind of tapped to have that little buffer really would be a big help. And so that would be the biggest tip I would give. That's really useful, actually. Not many people have mentioned that. So I really appreciate you saying that. That's great. Um, so what would you say, I know you've kind of touched on that already. What would you say some of the other mistakes aspiring business owners make? Um. I think that, that a product will sell itself. I know I was like, oh, once it's on the shelves, it'll just fly off the shelves magically. Everyone will know about it. Um, to put extra money in, you know, hiring people to do demos for you if you can't do them yourselves, you know, having that, um, a, you know, any kind of marketing or something to get your name out there because, you know, you call all these stores and get your product on the shelf and then it just sits there and then, the, you know, the store owner's looking at you like it's not moving and, so that's a that's a big one. I think we get so excited at starting a business, we forget about that. That's a really good, another really good point as well. Um, so you mentioned you were working in the government job, um, Ilsa. What skills from your previous job or jobs or careers have been useful in transferring to running your own business? It's kind of wild, actually. I look back on all my jobs and it's almost like I knew Nachi's was down the line or something. Like, for example... I used to actually be a demo specialist at a health food store up in Santa Rosa. Did you? I did, oh, yes. Yeah, how job. funny. And then wow. so I have that experience. And then I was a um, uh, customer service representative at a cell phone company. So I have all the phone skills and all that. And then my IT computer skills from all these many years of just graphic design and web design, photography. It's just like ah. just perfectly primed to be the Nachis lady. It so is. Isn't that funny? <laughs> it's like the universe kind of had this plan for you. And totally, yeah. <laughs> that's really cool. That's great. Now, in terms of funding your business, so we touched on that a little bit. Um, obviously, every business, even an online one, has got some startup costs. So what are some of the methods you use to get started if you feel comfortable sharing them? And, and what have you found that works well? Um, no, I don't mind at all. Um, I actually was in a car accident, and so I got a settlement. So that was kind of the seed money that started this, and um, it goes by so fast. So um, I had actually worked with my parents before I started going into business and asked them to help me out, and they've actually been helping me. Like my biggest investors in Nachis, um, so I've been very fortunate to have them on board. But um, you know, the money doesn't last forever, so you know, keeping that in account. Um, also, I, I received a grant from Whole Foods. There, I don't know if you saw the story. There, there's another lady um, entrepreneur that does a, um, it's called a Culture Kitchen. They're a cashew cheese here in Sacramento, and they're sold all around the Bay Area. And we actually both won, and we shared it. So actually, oh. she, she won by one vote to get the grant, and then we had 
decided ahead of time just to share it no matter who of the two of us won. And so having that money, like having it was a $3,000 grant for each of us, having you know this check just given to you for $3,000 to promote your business and make it grow was amazing. So looking into any kind of grants, Whole Foods is a huge proponent for local entrepreneurs. So checking in with them because that's where we got our grant too. Oh, that's a really good point. Actually, I think a lot of businesses don't think about grants. You know, you often associate grants with nonprofits. Um, you know, so I think that that's a really good. And how lovely that the two of you shared that. I think it's a really good example of, you know, vegan business owners collaborating. And I, I get that a lot with a lot of the interviews. It's kind of like, you know, everyone wants, you know, of course you want your own business to succeed, but you also want other vegan businesses to succeed as well. So I really love that you, you know, you decided to share that, which is fantastic. Um, so let's go on to final um, couple of questions are around mindset. So a lot of business owners would say that running a business is fastest and most effective form of personal development. Um, what could, you know, it forces you out of your comfort zone and, and, and other kinds of things. So what personal qualities do you believe are essential to not only running your business, but running it in the long term and making it sustainable? Um, two really big things. Uh, one is, and this is, I had to learn, I was not this person, the ability to stay calm in very stressful situations. Um, and it's just a lot of it's not taking it personally. So taking lots of deep breaths and realizing, okay, we can work through this, having that mantra, we can figure this out, we can figure this out, and it helps kind of get through that because some really big curveballs will definitely come your way. Um, and the other thing is realize that, you know, you can work on other things while this one big item is taking its time getting together you know, stop sitting there just focusing on it and freaking out about it. Just take another deep breath and then realize, okay, I don't have to worry about this right this second. I can go over here where these other, you know, graphic designs or social media, whatever else that needs to be done that's on your to-do list, just to kind of get, because that item is going to take its time and be finished when it's, you know, when it's ready. Either you can sit there and stress about it or you can move on and use that time in a beneficial way. Mm, that's really good advice, actually, as well. Are there any um, specifics, uh, like techniques or activities that you do to ensure that, because obviously, you know, you do a lot of it by the, by the sounds of it, you're filling orders, you're doing the social media, creating blogs and videos and recipes and all this kind of thing. So, and that can obviously, you know, if you're, you know, doing that with, with almost just you or just you and your parents, you know, that's a lot of time, it could potentially get a bit stressful. So I'm curious, do you do anything to ensure that you maintain a strong mental and emotional well-being as a business owner and entrepreneur? Definitely. Uh, the biggest thing is I do a daily guided meditation where I just go out in the backyard, put my feet in the grass, and start the day by just really grounding and you know just doing this meditation to really start the day out right. Um, I've noticed if I don't do that, then I'm already starting out the day kind of frazzled and it just gets worse. So that really just helps set the, to the tone of the day. Um, deep breathing. I know I've mentioned this many times over our interview just now that take a deep breath, take a moment, you know, let's just maybe come back later, take a deep breath. It's really helps because it's going to be there waiting for you when you take five seconds or if you deal with it right then and maybe waiting five seconds or the next day will have a fresher mind to really handle things. So that's a big thing I learned. It learned. Also, um, I do a lot of spiritual learning and I have a coach that helps me with business and spiritual teachings and it's looking at the big picture because it's really easy to get right, you know, in there, focus on one tiny little detail when just taking a deep breath, stepping back and realizing 
this is just part of the process, what else can I do? Those kind of, it's a spiritual kind of learning that you need to learn to just realize the big picture of everything. And journaling. I love to journal because you have so much in your head and it just sits there and it just goes in a cycle over and over again. And if you write it out, you can say what you want. That person never hears about it. And you can get it out on paper and it's out of your head. So that's another thing I like to do. Wow, that's amazing. It's really important to to know that because it's so tempting, I think, as a business owner to think, right, you've got to work every single hour and, you know, you've just, you know, you can't afford to have a breath. And sometimes I get guilty of that myself. If I'm so focused on something, I'll sit at the computer and realize I've sat there for like four hours with no break and I'm hunched over and I'm like, oh my gosh. And I think it is important to to take that time out. Even if you think you can't take it out, it's probably the reason you should take it out so I'm really glad that you've explained that and given some really good ideas there as well which is great what are some of the key lessons you've learned through running your business Elsa whether that's personal or professional or both um that nothing is serious enough to lose your composure you know to, when you're screaming and yelling like that day that I was escorted out of the building <laughs> it, it didn't help if anything it made things much worse and it was very embarrassing you know so you know just keep your composure. Everything will work out. And I, and also, you know, taking a beat. You know, just get a stressful email. You don't have to reply that second. You can just kind of, okay, you know what? I'm going to shut this down. I'm going to go for a walk. I'll deal with it tomorrow when I have a fresh mind. So that's the two main. That's really good advice. Very, very good advice. <laughs> and just finally then, Elsa, what's your long-term vision for Natchez and for yourself? I would love if a another successful um, vegan company that had a product that was complementary to, you know, not cheese, like a chip or, you know, chili, fries, something of that nature, would take me under their wing and help take not cheese to the next level of, you know, being introduced to their distribution and, and also, you know, the recognition that I'd be connected with, you know, say, follow your heart or something like that, you know, where it's like, oh, they under, they know follow your heart and then Nachi's is under that umbrella, something of that nature where it would just get Nachi's out to even more people would be amazing. And I think if that did happen, it would allow me to spend more time doing what I love the most about this business is promoting Nachi's and getting out there. I have a, um, a vintage travel trailer named Daisy. She's a 1962 Oasis and oh, wow. It's <laughs> insanely cute. There's pictures and a lot of the videos of the recipes I take inside of Daisy's little kitchens is all colorful and turquoise and aqua and things. And she's just so much fun to be in and around. And people come from all around just to see what is this. And I would love to be able to go around and go to all the stores that carry nachis and, and do demonstration, things of that nature, and really promote nachis in a fun way and, and let you know, the distributors and, you know, the co-packers and all of them kind of deal with the day-to-day operations and let me have the fun. That would be really cool. That's fantastic. And that's really good to hear because a lot of the uh, business owners, not just vegan business owners, actually really dislike the idea of promoting, like they just want to make this stuff and they don't <laughs> want to do the promo. And that's lovely that you're you're really up for doing that. That sounds space. And in fact, that's just reminded me, actually, didn't you do something cool with some like in the car or something. I remember when I interviewed you for the book, didn't you have some like uh, at traffic lights, you were uh, like passing out stickers or something or other um, uh, for I the have, products? I have little pouches, little one ounce pouches with notches. This the cheese all ready to go inside. 
and they're perfect because people, I have magnets on the side of my car. That was it, magnets. That was yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a huge, actually, yeah, thanks for reminding me. That's a huge marketing plus. If you make your money back tenfold with those magnets on the side of the car because then that you're approachable. People can come up to you and ask you questions and it gets, gets out there. It's really, it's fun too. Fantastic. It sounds like you're doing a lot of really fun and exciting stuff. And, uh, you know, you've already had a lot of success to date. So I'm really excited to see uh, Natchez grow. So thank you so much for joining me, Elsa. It's been lovely speaking with you. It was lovely talking with you too. It was really fun. So that was Ilsa Hess from Love and Joy Foods, producers of Natchez. You can find out more at natchez.com. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts. Now for our vegan business news roundup. A vegan burger bar is launched at Whole Foods in Colorado, reports latest vegan news. Menu items at the new eatery include Beyond Meat vegan burgers, chicken and fish sandwiches. Side options include sweet potato hush puppies, hand-cut French fries, vanilla shakes made with coconut milk and more. And the store also recently launched an all-day breakfast menu. Sounds yummy and it's certainly all happening in Boulder, Colorado. Now, once upon a time, we were hard pushed to get any kind of vegan cheese, especially ones that tasted halfway decent, let alone delicious. Now, vegans have their own cheese festivals. And in fact, there's one that's even more niche, a vegan grilled cheese festival. (laughs) The first vegan grilled cheese invitational took place at Sage Organic Vegan Bistro in Culver City, Los Angeles earlier this month. Ten chefs took part in the event, which was presented by Eat Drink Vegan, which is formerly the Vegan Beer and Food Festival, and sponsored by Follow Your Heart. Celebrity judges included former NFL defensive lineman David Carter, also known as the 300-pound vegan. Chef Ayind Howell, author of The Lusty Vegan, won the People's Choice Award for his mac and cheese grilled cheese sandwich, and Vinnie Blanco, a.k.a. Gangster Vegan, won the judges' favourite with his Philly Sweet Potato Cheesesteak Grilled Cheese. And all the ticket proceeds from the event went to people for the ethical treatment of animals. Well, we certainly are progressing when it comes to vegan cheeses. And, you know, these kind of events associate vegan eating with fun and deliciousness and raise the profile, of course, of vegan cheesemakers, forcing everyone to get more innovative. It's very much a win all round and it's a great idea for any city. A vegan drinks company, Califia Farms, has launched what's believed to be the world's first vegan nitro cold brew coffee, reports Veg News. The new concoction is a cold brew latte available in three flavours, mocha, latte and New Orleans. It's infused with nitrogen to give it a foamy finish, while almond and macadamia nuts add to the creamy effect. So again, it just goes to show that you don't need animal products, including dairy, to enjoy your coffee. North Dakota is set to get its first vegan restaurant, reports W Day. The state is only one of five in the US that doesn't have a vegan eatery. Greenhouse Cafe is due to open next month in Fargo. Owners Joey and Abby Haynes are currently running a crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter to help them with the launch. 
The couple not only want to attract vegans and vegetarians, but also local mainstream customers. So it's always a risk opening the first vegan eatery in an area, but if you can wow the locals with delicious food, there's no reason why you can't be successful. Congratulations to Joey and Abby for taking the plunge in North Dakota. The Republicans and Democrats are not renowned for getting along, especially in an election year. But they've done themselves proud with a new bill that would prevent government bodies attacking vegan products, as happened last year with the furor over Hampton Creek Just Mayo, which is a vegan mayonnaise product. Bloomberg reports that a Freedom of Information Act request revealed the nefarious lengths the American Egg Board went to to protect the egg industry from the vegan startup. Egg Board President Joanne Ivey was shown to be part of an email thread in which an egg executive asked, can we pool our money and put a hit on him, in reference to Hampton Creek CEO Josh Tetrick. Wow, <laughs> that just goes to show how much animal abuse industries are threatened by the growth in plant-based alternatives. The new bill, the Commodity Checkoff Program Improvement Act of 2016, introduced this week by Senator Cory Booker, a Democrat from New Jersey, and Senator Mike Lee, a Republican from Utah, proposes to stop these agricultural bodies from breaking the law. The Egg Board is a commodity checkoff program that operates under the supervision of the US Department of Agriculture. As such, it's not supposed to attack competitors or influence public policy. So it's great to see the two political parties working together on this and let's hope it passes. Finally, vegan product launches have outpaced vegetarian ones in Germany, according to research by Mintel. In 2015, new product launches carrying a vegan claim were greater than those labelled as vegetarian, with Germany launching more vegan products than any other European country that year. Vegan claims were featured on 10% of newly introduced food and drink products in Germany in 2015, while only 6% were labelled as vegetarian. This is a substantial increase from only two years ago when vegan and vegetarian labelled products each only accounted for 3% of all launches in Germany. So Germany has actually taken the lead when it comes to vegan launch activity, accounting for 36% of all vegan food and drink introductions in Europe in 2015. They're followed by the UK at 21%, France at 7% and Italy at 4%. Katia Whittams, Senior Food and Drink Analyst at Mintel, says The vegan diet is rapidly moving from the fringe to the mainstream as one of the fastest growing segments in the German food and drink industry, with consumers' interest in meat-free diets continuing unabated. Germany has seen vegan references explode in the market as veganism infiltrates food service and retail packaged food sectors. Vegan products seem to succeed in attracting attention from a much wider health and ethically driven flexi-vegan consumer base. Demand is also spurred by the growing interest in both free-from and organic qualities which are commonly represented by vegan products.
Well, what can I say to that? Woohoo! <laughs> That's great news and well done, Germany. It looks like we're really making some headway now. And I love some of the adjectives that Katia used, like we're infiltrating the, the food service sectors and the growing interest in meat-free uh, diets is continuing unabated. So this is all very exciting stuff. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please consider giving it a review and a rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. I'm Katrina Fox from veganbusinessmedia.com and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode. Bye for now. Music.